What's up, you lockdowners? Clint Russell, back in the building. It's Monday. We have a former president who's about to be indicted and perp-walked, arrested, allegedly. Um, for those that aren't familiar, basically what happened is that he had a extramarital affair with a former porn star named Stormy Daniels, and he paid her off to not talk about it, which in the hierarchy of corruption is pretty minimal in my estimation. Uh, but regardless, they're trying to hit him on some sort of cam campaign law, uh, even though what I've read is that he used his personal funds sent through his attorney to her and she then broke the non-disclosure agreement and he sued her and won a couple hundred thousand dollars settlement against her, which she has refused to pay. So I, for the life of me, I can't figure out how they're going to indict him. But I made this point yesterday online that like of all the presidents in my lifetime, this dude has been investigated for six years straight now, six plus years, really, maybe even longer. Uh, and this is what they get him on or attempt to. Ugh. Talk about grasping at straws. Uh, you know, I, I said he's probably the least corrupt president of my lifetime, and I stand by that. I think he probably is. It's not a high bar. Not That's not even like a claim for him, <laughs> really. But, you know, if you're going to investigate any politician, forget presidents, just any politician for six plus years, and this is the worst thing that you can, you can actually pin to him, pretty incredible. Obviously, there's other things that I would like to see pinned to him, uh, given that he was responsible for selling munitions to both Ukraine uh, pre-Russian invasion as well as uh, the Saudis to the tunes of billions. And the Saudis then uh, proceeded to use those munitions to uh, essentially trade embargo the Yemenis as well as you know bomb them. So, yeah, uh, I think that that would that would be if I were to uh, you know label him a criminal, it would be a war criminal, and it would be for that. Uh, but given that every president has done that, they can't really go after him for that because that's not considered corruption. Uh, so, yeah, dark days. Um, but I did want to say, you know, I, I'm very I'm very nervous about <clears throat> the, the their justification for doing so. Uh, my personal opinion is that they're trying to get him on a felony charge, a trumped up felony charge, no pun intended, uh, because they're trying to make it essentially illegal for him to run. And I. I don't think that they're going to prevail in that. I don't think that these charges will stick unless you get, you know, a completely absurdly biased jury, which obviously in New York is a distinct possibility. Um, but really what I'm most concerned about is the reaction of, of his supporters. Uh, I think that if you, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I honestly, I don't know how his supporters still stand by him as strongly as they do, given that, you know, he kind of catalyzed the January 6th event um, even though he told them to be peaceful and some of the people chose not to, and some of them were probably FBI informants or FBI agents themselves. Um, but he didn't pardon those people. You know, he had, he had two more weeks that he was the president of the United States and he didn't pardon it. Like, even if he just had to clarify, you know, if any of the people there were violent, proceed with whatever charges you feel are just. But, uh, you know, for those that peacefully protested on my own direction, I think that they should not be charged with anything. And in fact, I'm going to blanket pardon them. He didn't do that. And, you know, a lot of people have said, 
well, a lot of people were just dumb and didn't realize that he was still the president for two weeks after January 6th. I mean, he didn't leave office until the 20th. So literally exactly two weeks, he was still the president. Um, but they've also said, well, th they didn't have the names. Look, a, a president's pardon capacity is extraordinary. Yeah, like it, it's, it's essentially like you even had before charges were brought against Nixon, he was pardoned by Ford. I believe it was Ford. Um, so, yeah, you can pardon before charges are brought. You, you can pardon basically for any reason. And as far as I can tell, there's no oversight for it whatsoever. Um, so he didn't do so. Okay. So for him to now be truth socialing out that you should be, uh, you know, taking the country back. Well, that's the type of language that got people into real trouble last time. And I'm very nervous that given that the January 6 hearings amounted to nothing, and the narrative has been shattered by Tucker Carlson, that they're trying to create a new narrative by which they can uh, galvanize not just their supporters, primarily Democrats and the anti-Trump crowd, um, but also the media and also the FBI. And I would be doing you guys a disservice if I didn't you know, warn you that tomorrow, if they actually indict him, if they were to be so brazen as to arrest a former president to actually cuff him and perp walk him on TV. My God, the the type of fallout that would come from that from his supporters would be very significant. And while I, I would obviously hope that his, his supporters would be smart enough to be peaceful, one, I'm not sure that they would be, not all of them. And two, I'm not sure that it'll have the option of remaining peaceful because you could have, once again, instigators either you know, left-leaning operatives or FBI operatives, but I repeat myself, uh, that that try and make this look once again like an insurrection, like like we're actually dealing with some sort of fascistic attempt to take over the government, which in my estimation is totally false. So don't let them portray you that way. I would never tell people not to protest, ever. However, if you're going to protest, I would highly encourage you not to do it in a jurisdiction that has a complete control of the political apparatus as well as the judiciary. You have already learned in D.C., where 90% plus of people are Democrats, that you cannot get a fair trial in Washington, D.C. Do you think you can get a fair trial in certain areas in New York? The answer is no. Do not risk that. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to protest, do it extraordinarily peacefully and try and do it in a jurisdiction where you could actually trust in the judiciary to do the right thing. You can't do that in either D.C. or many portions of New York, California, Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots, lots of places where I would be very nervous about peacefully protesting. And people will say, well, hey, if it's illegal to peacefully protest, then you ought to be protesting. You're right. But do it smart. Do it intelligently. Don't give your enemies an opportunity to imprison you indefinitely without trial, with solitary confinement, with charges that are extraordinarily trumped up, which is what they did to the J6ers. I just, I'm trying to look out for you guys. I know most of my listeners are libertarians. They probably wouldn't be protesting anyways, but uh, I do have a decent amount of people that are, are you know, MAGA. And I just... Just a warning, okay? Be smart here. Yes, protest is your God-given right. But also, you exist in a very tyrannical nation at this point.
And you got to be aware of that. Okay. Today I had on Alex Svetsky as well as Mark Moss briefly. He was uh, interrupted. He's popular guy right now as, as all of all three of us are because we're uh you know go-tos when it comes to economic malfeasance and corruption uh but this is a a great interview with these two as to you know what the the future holds economically and and how we might play it so i think you guys will enjoy this one we also get into some more you know sociological discussions and philosophical ones at that it's very very interesting enjoy the show before we get started with that interview, please hit the like, comment, and subscribe buttons. Make sure you make a comp, just create a conversation in the comments so that it then the algos go, ooh, people be talking, people be talking. Let's show it to more people. Let's show it to more people. That's how that's how this stuff works. I'm just telling you, that's how the algorithms work. Um, by the way, I will be in Washington State this weekend, the 24th and 25th, speaking at the LP convention there. So if you're in Washington State, please come out. Uh, the following weekend and actually week, I will be in Colorado at the LP convention uh, for Colorado, as well as Liberty on the Rocks. And then on the 21st through the 23rd, I will be in Tennessee, Nashville, debating destiny. Do not miss that one. And last but not least, the following weekend, the 28th through the 30th of April, I will be in Austin, Texas with Josie and a whole bunch of people. It's going to be awesome. These are the Take Human uh, Action Tour events. You guys can uh, just Google that and you'll be able to find them. Uh, but definitely do not miss either any of those events. If you're local, no excuses. You got to come out and see me. Uh, show some so, uh, show some support so that people um, know that we're we're making a difference out here, or at least attempting to. Love you guys. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host, and I am joined today by Svetsky Wrights, and we might, in fact, have an edition of a Mr. Mark Moss. We'll see about that. It's in limbo. Uh, but for my audience that isn't familiar, if you could tell them who you are, Svetsky. Thank you, bro. Um, so yeah, my, my surname is not actually Svetsky Wrights, neither is it my name, but my surname is Svetsky. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's, uh, um, my, my first name is Alex, and yeah, I think most people probably online know me as a writer, um, and I think that's sort of what my, um, my online uh, persona is just generally perceived as. Right. But um, I, I've sort of been an entrepreneur all my life. Uh, I dropped out of university. Um, I felt like everyone was too stupid when I was... Uh, when I was you were right. Engineering, yeah. Well, turns out I was. Um, in in some ways, you know what? Like sometimes I think my life might have been easier if I just got a fucking degree and uh, <laughs> stuck the course. But it's not a lot. It's not about life being easy. It's about it being exciting. So exciting and interesting and full of growth, right? Right. So right. um. So yeah, that that uh that put me on an interesting uh life path. I took my scholarship money. I um instead of buying textbooks, I put on the stock market taught myself to trade and this was sort of when the first online broking accounts came out so i was like 18 19 year old dumbass kid and um, i turned like five grand into 60 thought i was a genius in 2007 <laughs> um and then obviously uh 2008 uh, my, my whole mission so 2008 i was turning 21 and like my whole mission was um to be a millionaire by the time i was 20 uh and basically Damn. in my the you know the, the year i turned 20 basically um I was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, so that kind of started off my my twenties. <laughs> I had the I had the 
you know, the stick shift was in reverse. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, was it so, because um, you were you were trading on margin that you went that far in debt, or was it the student loan? Yeah, basically. No, no, no. It was it was margin, man. So so back then yeah. it was quite easy to get margin, um, and gotcha. I just I just levered up, levered up, levered up, um, and before you knew it, I was you know quarter of a million in the hole. So yeah, man, that kind of put me on a you know on a pathway in life, and this is kind of why I think I you know ten years later sort of I guess fell down the libertarian rabbit hole because I just found it natural like i was always a libertarian like nobody bailed me out you know there was nobody sort of to backstop me i had to work my ass off the only thing i could do on short notice was i went did door-to-door sales um you know built myself up uh i was selling fucking pay tv while i was living on a dude's couch um you know and like i'd get up in the morning i'd go to the gym i'd train I'd get to the office, I'd train other people how to sell, I'd go out and sell, like, and I was an introvert, so, like, I, but I had to eat, right, so I had four cans of tuna in my pockets, and I would only eat a can of tuna if I'd make a sale, so, like, and it was commission only, like, dude, I was a, I was a machine, then I'd come back home at night, and I would, uh, read, I would, like, what did, what happened, what did, where did I go wrong, and, like, I read all the books about trading, you know, market wizards, this, that, and along the line there, somewhere I sort of found, like, the, you know, the gold bug, Kind of um, people, so the Mike Maloney's of the world, the um, you know Gerald Salente yelling at the camera, um, yeah, yeah. You know, Max Kaiser and Doug Casey and all of those guys, and and that sort of planted some seeds for me. I think you know I became a gold and silver bug, bought a bunch of gold and silver, you know did well out of that, um, you know. But my sort of my entrepreneurial career took off in a sense, like um, I you know I had a few sort of false starts, ups and downs, but yeah, my my life sort of went that way, and um. And yeah, it wasn't until 2016 that I that I sort of found Bitcoin again um, and decided to build a business in that space. So I built the world's first uh, Bitcoin-only dollar-cost averaging app. So you guys in the US are probably familiar with like River and Swan and all of that sort of stuff. Um, they were all modeled off the app that I built called Amber um, out in Australia. Very cool. But um, you know, Australia is not much of a um, uh, a Bitcoin place. It's more of a shitcoin casino place. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so so we we we've done well there, but I I had a bit of a scuffle, let's say, with the regulators um, because of my ideologies from that company about uh, eighteen months ago. And um, I went down, you know, did a bunch more writing, and you know, I think we'll discuss it today. But I wrote what's called the Uncommunist Manifesto alongside Mark Moss, um, that became a bestseller. Um, and yeah, anyway, that's a that's an extended or mildly extended version of my, that, my very life. cool man. Well, I, I want to just, there was one note that you made that I, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper on. Um, you know, you said that you found libertarianism because of your entrepreneurial bent. And and I find that's why I became, you know, a really staunch libertarian because I just, I can't stand working for other people. Um, you know, I don't mind working for a customer, but working for a boss who I have, you know, if I'm being honest, even though I worked for my dad at one point, I've never had a boss or anybody in my life that I felt was like definitely smarter than me. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not that he's dumb. He's a brilliant guy. But like, I've just never had anyone that I was like, oh, yeah, you should definitely be telling me what to do all the time. You know, mm-hmm, like I've just never mm-hmm, felt that mm-hmm. way. And and it always uh, mystifies me that there aren't more libertarian entrepreneurs like it. I know a lot yeah, that work work yeah. in the corporate world and things like that. And I just don't know how they do it is there is there like there different classifications or grades or like makeups of libertarians 
I think there is. Look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, and the older I've gotten, the more I've come to appreciate this is, you know, in, in, particularly in building um, teams, like, because I've scaled teams up to like 50, 60, 70 people, right? And, and very quickly. And, you know, actually, libertarians are quite good uh, working in that because, you know, it's, it's less about taking orders, it's more about actually taking responsibility um, right. in a role. And that's really, you know, when you when you work with a competent libertarian, because believe me, there's a lot of incompetent fucking libertarians who think freedom just means, you know, smoke a bunch of weed and stay at home and, you know, feel free to do whatever I want, right? right. Um, and, you know, that's definitely not the kind you want to hire. But uh, I, I think, you know, s some people are not like, you know, I'll, I'll use this um, this sort of uh, framework that I, that I learned from Tony Robbins. He says, you know, you've got kind of three, one could argue there's four archetypes in business, but you've got the artist, you've got the entrepreneur, and you've got the manager leader. Some might also place technician in there, but sort of technician can kind of fit under the artist banner. But let's just use the three, artist, entrepreneur, um, manager, leader. And each of those can be business owners, but each of those sort of uh, perform a different function. Now, the artist is generally like the, you know, either the designer or the coder or the, you know, the chef or the, you know, the sort of the, the person who, you know, transforms his passion into something and you know that generally covers podcasters you know content creators authors all that sort of stuff right you know the basketball player um you know the, the manager leader he's the guy who's the you know runs the operations make sure you know communication runs smoothly that you know the people are inspired they're moving towards the vision etc um, and then you've sort of got the entrepreneur archetype and he's the one who can uh stomach a bucket load of risk um, you know, he might be, you know, he might not have a particular artistic talent. He might not be great at, you know, leading people or, you know, running them. I mean, he's probably a good leader generally because he's like visionary, but, you know, maybe like Steve Jobs is not good at the details of people who just fucking, you know, tell them right. that they're morons. Just a tyrant, and sort of, yeah. you've got these, exactly. So, so you've got these kind of, you know, multiple archetypes and, you know, the, the, the best model to sort of think of them through is like a, a basketball team, right? So mm -hmm. the, the players are the artists, the coach is the manager leader. And the owner of the team is the entrepreneur. And they all sort of play play a different role. So I think, you know, you can definitely be libertarian across all of them. And, and I just think that, um, you know, sometimes people think that, hey, uh, you know, I must be an entrepreneur, and that's the only way I should be. When their when their archetype is actually of a different kind, and that's where mm. I think people get in trouble. Um, well, that's and, fair. Anyway, it, it, yeah. for for the record, uh, I, I I think you're right, but. Uh, I am that type. <laughs> like there, there Which are one, some... the entrepreneur or the artist. No, I'm the I'm the entrepreneur. I mean, this this okay. artist phase of my life is nothing I ever uh, expected or intended to to have a you know have be part of my career path or my life path. To be honest, but mm -hmm. um, I was just kind of compelled into this category. The the entrepreneur path was just a given because I, I am completely incapable of having people tell me what to do unless it's <laughs> unless it's really well justified. I think this is also part of the reason I'm a libertarian. Part of the reason I'm an anarcho-capitalist is like I don't think that the government has a right to tell me what to do either. So if I can opt out, I can't opt out of the government necessarily unless we can talk about Bitcoin later. But uh, <laughs> I can opt out of the work world and having a boss and I can become mm -hmm. that boss. You know, I can take more mm -hmm. autonomy, more control over my life. That to me is the most gratifying thing. So, um, but anyways, the, the archetype uh, discussion was very, very interesting and I hadn't really considered mm -hmm. that. So I, that was enlightening and I appreciate it. Uh, what I did sure. want to talk about is the, the interview that you had done. Um, I always forget his name, Marty with Marty. Marty Bent. Bent. Yes. Yeah. Um, where you talked about uh, the kind of the, like ancient cultures, ancient civilizations, and the and the differences in our makeup 
uh, well, just go ahead and go ahead and give kind of the the broad thesis, and we can dive in. Yeah. So, so the the second book uh, I wrote, and it's um it's in the editing phase at the moment, is called the Bushido of Bitcoin. And the the question I sort of posed to to myself, and you know that I'll that I'll pose in the book, basically to the world, is all right. We're talking about Bitcoin. You know, you've got this thing with such uh, tremendous economic gravity that it's likely going to be you know the 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 money against which we measure everything else and therefore you know bitcoin holders uh, are going to become disproportionately wealthy uh, and you know real wealth like purchasing power wealth um so so what what does that mean when you get catapulted from you know basically nothing or middle class to being you know the socioeconomic elite you know do you become a you know, do you become a, a monkey that's just driving around in a Lambo with a Louis Vuitton suit just because you can, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know, do you become the next political parasitic class, right? Like, you know, do you start to form cabals and, you know, do your own thing because, hey, right. you couldn't do before and that's what you do now. Um, you know, or do do we become men and women, you know, of some sort of virtue? Um, and then, you know, if, if the latter is the case, then I said, well, how about I look into what sort of cultures have emerged over the centuries where, you know, where virtue was uh, a matter of life and death. Um, and generally that sort of, um, you know, that, that sort of highest quality of virtue, highest quality of morality um, emerged out of warrior cultures, believe it or not. And, and this one might, you know, rub uh, some libertarians, you know, the, the, in an interesting way or the wrong way is that like out of war, out of conflict comes the highest virtues. And, it is. I think that's probably so, true. Well, well it's it's true because the stakes are never the high, uh, never higher, right? Exactly. Like when when you like, for example, in a phalanx, you know, the phalanx is not the strength of the individual. Actually, it's the strength of the man to your right, um, and how you protect him, and how you are willing to sort of give your life for him. And you know, the, the sort of the the question that I posed is like, what can we learn from these uh, ancient medieval cultures? That you know are now largely gone because we've uh, replaced them with um, pure. Oh, how can I say? Um, you know that they a lot of these ancient cultures believed in you know the currency of reputation, for example, you know, and then that could also be called honor, right? And so they sort of believed in a metaphysical currency as well as a, a physical currency. And um, you know, I think in the in the modern world we've replaced you know all metaphysical ideas with just you know, material stuff. Um, and we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And this is not to say that, you know, markets, economies and money are not important. They, they are fundamentally important. And, you know, if you if you don't have that structure, everything else sort of goes awry, which is, you know, what we're seeing in the world today. But anyway, it was just, it, it's, a, it's a metaphysical discussion about um, what, what virtues uh, should we look to embody, you know, if we want a better world, because it's not, um, it's not just about being free um, you know, and just about having a, you know, an ANCAP world. It's like, how do you show up in that environment? Um, who do you yeah, inspire? Man. You know, how do you lead, et cetera. So, well, yeah. I, I think about this constantly because, you know, for instance, you know, there's a chance if the, the contagion could be significant enough that we were already on the cusp of a global great depression, it could be the chance that they over adjust and we end up in hyperinflation and you have some sort of, you know, civil civilizational collapse. Um, and I think that there, it's probable that I'll see that in my lifetime, one or the other. So it, from that, 
you have to have a populace as long as you have a government, which I obviously would prefer I don't. But if if you have one, you're going to have a populace that demands the state fix it. And mm -hmm. and how do you have a culture or you know people that, that constitute these values that we're describing that don't demand terrible things from their government? And and this is my deep concern because I, I believe during the next major crisis there will be. Uh, an offer of universal basic income and central bank mm -hmm, digital currency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. there will be a culture which is more than willing to accept it out of both desperation, ignorance, all sorts of values that I compliance, exactly, yeah, yeah, compliance, everything else. So, I mean, what, what would be the character traits that, that a civilization would need to avoid that pitfall and how can we foster it? Yeah. Big question. So, I mean, I, I listed out eight in the book and I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but I'll see if I can rattle them out. So, you know, number sure. one is, uh, is justice, um, you know, which is you know, about doing the right thing. Uh, and then sort of the second one was courage, which is about doing the right thing, even when it's hard, right. Even when there's risk. Um, so, so, you know, courage is a lot, um, Man, do we lack well, courage right now? <laughs> totally, totally. We, we, like I always say this, I say that you know our our ancestors sort of grew up through like the mud and sludge and fucking imagine like no toilets, no refrigerators, no shelter. Like we we fucking sailed across like wooden ships across the Atlantic, like all this shit. And now motherfuckers are hiding behind chairs with three masks on because somebody sneezed. Like they're it's just rolling around in the, I know they're roll, like our ancestors are literally rolling around in their graves thinking, what the fuck did we leave the world to? I know. Pussies. Like that's know. literally like, it's pathetic. But anyway, um, so yeah, justice, courage, uh, benevolence, you know, or, you know, love, magnanimity, passion. Um, the, the fourth one I think was, uh, was honor, then integrity, then, um, responsibility, uh, excellence. Um, then I think there was, uh, respect, um, there's, uh, loyalty and then I think I'm missing one, but, um, yeah, then sort of, I closed it off with, uh, self-control or restraint. Oh my goodness, man. Well, you know, obviously I agree with your assessment, but I have to point out, I, it doesn't strike me that the American people, uh, have any of those to any significant level. That's concerning. It's very um, concerning. Is it, is it different in Australia? By the way, where do you live now? Are you still in Australia? Uh, no, I'm, 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 I escaped the gulags. Uh, the oh, good gulags, for you, man. I like to call them. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, in, I'm in South America. So, you know, he, here it's, you know, it's more retarded, um, but it's, uh, it's, you know, it's less governable, right? So, you know, unlike yes, Australia yes, where yes. they have the money to enforce uh, communism, uh, here they they laugh about communism but you know it's only enforceable in small sort of locations right yeah they don't have the money so, to enforce it <laughs> exactly yes they're two weeks away from starvation and on a perpetual basis so as soon as like communism is an idea like motherfuckers start to starve and you know you're right whereas in australia like you know you can do communism for four years build out a technological gulag not realize because you have such a capital base to draw upon um, right. and, and that's that's why i think australia canada and new zealand are the most dangerous countries on the planet more so than the US because you have such a social safety net and you have a va values hierarchy in the society which values um, safety and comfort over freedom and growth. And, you know, America still at least got freedom and growth high up 
in the list now. Yeah, by we, and large, we have a, a we have a divide amongst the people as to whether or not they value time. that. But yeah, correct, big time. So so, but but it's you know it's still a core part of um, you know the the essence of the the American culture, which, I mean. To a degree, that was you know Canada and New Zealand as, and Australia as well. Like you know, Australia that, was the that's land how I always convicts, right? Yeah, that's how exactly. I always perceive them. But then it just like yeah. then you guys got it worse than we did during lockdowns, and I was like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, to, to answer your question, it's like you know, is, is there that? No, um, I think Australia, Canada, and you know, New Zealand, for example, are three of the most compliant nations on the planet. Um, like I think, I think something like. You know, Australia was boasting that their vaccine compliance was something like ninety-five percent. Now, I don't know if those numbers are real because there is there is a large cohort in Australia of um, what I would say first-generation immigrants. Um, well, I don't know if it counts first-generation or second-generation. So my, my parents came on a boat in the um, in the seventies, uh, and you know, me being born to them and a whole generation of sort of my like we you know we're called we're derogatorily called the Wogs um, back in Australia. But um, it's kind of like fobs, basically, fresh off the boat. Uh, but we, um, you know, we, we kind of our generation donned that moniker, and we're like, yeah, fuck you, we're wogs. We're wogs, hell yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you know, we, um, you know, we 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 turn the slander into into sort of a you know a badge of honor. And that generation, like my generation, was the one that was going out protesting, rioting, you know, fighting with the cops and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if you ever saw that clip of the. There was one dude who was like a, I don't know if he was a rugby player or something, but you know, the cops Hell ran yeah, in bro. and he kind of like took out a bunch of fucking cops. Like that was, I think that was in Bankstown, which is kind of right next door to where I grew up, which is where all like the Eastern European and sort of Lebanese communities and all that sort of stuff are. So, so yo, that, 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 that video, I tweeted it out. I clipped it and I tweeted it out and I said something hilarious. I can't remember what I said, but. Um, I was like, this is my spirit animal or something like that. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. and it went super viral. That guy is an animal. I can't, oh, man, I, I wish I could remember where that video is. It was fantastic. It was a machine. Um, <laughs> so, so basically like that, that, that constituted basically the, the intolerant minority. Now I, I think that's more than 5% to be honest, but I, I could be wrong, but, sure. uh, yeah. Anyway, the, the values in Australia are fucking backwards and upside down. Well, can can you tell me? I mean, I have my own estimation as to why the American culture degraded. It, I, I don't even know if you're privy to you know why it happened here, but I would love to know if you think that there's any different factors that occurred in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, things like that. I think the the, the factors are multifaceted. So I mean, you know, everyone, at least in the Bitcoin space, points to breaking the money, um, and th th this is a significant factor, right? So so. The, the soundness of money determines time preference. You know, the, yeah. the sound of the money, the, the lower your time preference. And, you know, the, the easier the money, the higher your time preference. And the higher your time preference goes, the less you value the future, which means you become more hedonistic and nihilistic. Um, and that, you know, you're, that, that sort of manifests in your behavior. If you're more hedonistic and nihilistic, you don't care about tomorrow, you will consume more, you will spend more, you will gamble more, you will do all sorts of more degenerate type stuff. Um, Interesting. And... Yeah, if you if you fuck the money upstream, you will generally get a situation where you get debauchery sort of downstream, and you know I, you see that every single time you get a hyperinflation, Weimar Republic, all that sort of shit. Right, right. I got. I have to ask you this uh, because I'm sure you've studied it uh, enough to <laughs> fill me in. Um, is the the increase in time preference that comes with the breaking of the money 
does it always correlate through history with a a baby bust where people stop having children because they become more interested in all of these non you know productive enterprises yeah, yeah. interesting 100%. I had never even thought about it, but like the yeah. fact that that would correlate makes perfect sense to me now after we, you know, paint the whole picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like th th this piece right there that I mentioned is honestly the key. When people say, you know, oh, uh, fixed money, fix the world, that's the fucking, that's like the, that's what the keystone of it all. Exactly. Right. Is you, you fix time preference, downstream behavior starts to uh, shift. That's why Bitcoin is so important now. Beyond Bitcoin, there's there's other reasons. As I said, there's sort of values hierarchy uh, in the society and in the civilization. Um, you know, as 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 societies get a little bit more um, affluent um, and safe, you know, they start to like the, the new generations that come after them start to worry about things that are further up Maslow's hierarchy, um, and they think that oh, you know, maybe we should now focus on this, you know, and rights and whatever the fuck else you know they can sort of think of. Um, and they become more and more detached with sort of the foundation that was um, that was built upon. Now, that process generally gets corrected uh, each generation if you have some sound money because you make poor decisions, you go bankrupt, um, you know, because you know, economic decisions usually have consequences. But in the paradigm of perpetual easy money, which we have been in this century, you can actually delay the consequence to poor economic behavior, to poor policy decisions, to bad ideas and all that sort of shit. So what ends up happening is you kick the can down the road. It's very similar to how um, California fucking burns down every 10 years because they they do away with all the small brush fires, which are natural. Like, you know, California is supposed to have natural brush fires that happen on a regular basis. They'd all be small, but that creates um, less big catastrophic fires you know the same thing that the fed does every time they bail someone out every time they keep something you know some zombie company alive etc etc right. they make way for some big catastrophic uh, collapse so anyway that's essentially if you, what if you um, don't allow for creative open. destruction you get creative uh <laughs> you, you get non-creative you just get well, fucking well, mass that, destruction i was gonna say creative nuclear explosion yeah, uh, yeah yeah there you go yeah, I grew up in California, so uh, believe me, it, I got to witness that firsthand. Very frustrating experience, just knowing that your state is is creating this, and then they turn around and they say, uh, "It's global warming, climate, <laughs> climate change." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you sons of bitches, you're not even managing the fucking underbrush. All right, sorry, yeah. didn't mean to interrupt. So, so anyway, yeah, that that's basically my my diagnosis. Um, you know, I think that the the money is incredibly important, um, and then it sort of has a feedback loop into behavior and then you know people get you know the, the more uh retarded they get then the more retarded they get and that sort of you know <laughs> creates this perpetual retardation motion basically the problem is that the people are retarded <laughs> exactly that's the greatest clip in the history of like i, I wrote i wrote a five-part series on democracy and why bitcoin's not democratic and shane hazel actually uh read it um oh, nice. podcast. it's a fantastic series and in i think i think part two of that had osho in there i was like if you want to know what democracy is just watch this video <laughs> the problem is <laughs> it's such a and the such pauses a... right the way he I know, pauses I know. For dramatic is, it's beautiful it's a masterpiece um all right so I mean, aside from fixing the money, which I think we are on the same page that it's vitally important, is that enough? I mean, can we just fix the money and the time preference will fix itself and then all these other cultural and spiritual and all these other things start to just fall into place? 
I, th that's the thing that I'm grappling with. I think um, without it, I think we're just uh, lapping and sort of, you know, moving chairs around. The, the, I tend um, to agree. The, the Titanic. Um, but, you know, so, so with it, then the question becomes like, all right, what more can we do? Um, yeah. and, it, and it's very easy to fall into the status trap. It's like, okay, oh, well, let's, you know, form a committee and, you know, let's fucking build a new bureaucracy and all that sort of stuff. And, and my, the whole premise of that, um, I mean, both the Uncommunist Manifesto and also Shido Bitcoin is actually calling upon people to be, you know, leaders of their own, um, first th themselves, but leaders of their own, you know, micro cosm micro economy micro society right which sure. is you know be a strong fucking father first you know be a strong leader in the household be a strong husband first um before laughing about you know what everybody else should do with their fucking gender or anything else right so right. so start there like it's the classic jordan peterson clean your room right so so start there you know if, if you're if you're competent there um then you know move on to you know leading your i don't know your business um or your the team that you're running you know then move on to Potentially leading the community or something like that. So, so there's layers in this scale, um, and and different people operate at different scales. Some people are very, very good at operating in the household um, and being a strong father, being a strong leader, but they're useless uh, at operating in the in the business environment and being a leader there. So, so you got to sort of find your niche. And at the end of the day, I think you know what what. Yeah, and I I was at the um the Liberty in Our Lifetimes conference in um in Prague for the for the uh, free private cities um event. And, you know, last year, my, my takeaway to sort of all the libertarians in the crowd, I said, if you want to fucking change the, the world, I said, you need to resemble that change. You actually need to inspire people to want to be like you. It's no point laughing about freedom and all this sort of stuff. And you're a fat slob who's broke, who's got no friends, and you're spending all day being a keyboard warrior on fucking Twitter or Reddit, right? Like, right. you know, just that's, that's nothing desirable. Like, sure, you can do it. Um, but, you know. No, nobody wants to really be like that. So, you know, well, no, no one that's not already so like us doesn't doesn't want to be like that. You know, correct, correct. So, so th this is where you know virtues like excellence are so important. Is that you you want to aspire to be the best version of yourself, um, and in whatever manifestation that is. And and I think that's probably the other piece is like you know if we if we fix the money, then you know the question is like how do we uh venture forth to be the best versions of ourselves like what virtues must we embody um to do that because then we become the inspirational nodes in the in the social fabric that other people want to be like and you know all, all of society is mimetic right so you, you sort of copy that which you most um aspire to want to be but you also copy that which you perceive as most successful and at the moment we perceive the most successful as being a fucking banker being you know, a Silicon Valley dweeb that wants to build a fucking other big pick app, you know, or, you know, being a crypto fucking monkey, like whatever, like that's what we're, that's the, the fake leaders that we've got at the moment or politician or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, so, then, so, th those aren't even the worst. Then you have the fucking yeah. political class, but yeah, yeah, yeah. man, it's, so, uh, yeah. that's fascinating. I, I, it's so disconcerting that like more people aren't privy to, to, where, where we're headed, where we're at, and also kind of the, the ways that we might um, start to improve things, even if the, you know, just setting aside fixing the money, fixing the world, the Bitcoin topic. Um, you know, what, what has always concerned me about our community is that there is a, a level of disdain for the culture that prevents us from engaging with it. And 
And if you're in a sick culture, like I'm not, I don't even blame people for being upset about it. Like it is, it's kind of, it's kind of not, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't really share my value. So I understand why people are kind of repulsed by it. But at the same time, you know, if you're not capable of engaging at the highest level of this sick culture, it, in a way that can kind of take people back out of it, um, I think that that's a huge mistake. And, and this is why for me, some of the more inspirational figures, even though I disagreed with much of what they said, I just really took a lot of heart in the fact that people with uh, unorthodox ideology were able to break through and become viral sensations. And, and what they were becoming viral over was pointing out the sickness in the culture and trying to redirect people in certain ways. And Jordan Peterson is the one that comes to mind first and foremost, like his, his, um, you know, sermons essentially is what they amounted to, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in the, you know, early 2010s. Um, they, they absolutely just lit a brush fire in, in the, the oh. minds of, of young people and, and to a lesser extent, but a significant extent, Andrew Tate did too, with his, yeah. his railing mm -hmm. about lockdowns and things like that. And I just think that, you know, we need more people in that, in that echelon of, culture and civilizational conversation um, that share our values. And if we're not willing to engage, well, then that void's going to be filled by people that suck. So I don't know. What do you think about that? T totally, man. I mean, these, um, I mean, this, this is the thing about like, you know, this happens in a lot of the, the circles that were like, you know, anti-COVID and everything like that over the last couple of years, um, which is, you know, they, they start to believe that everything's a conspiracy, everything's run by lizards behind red curtains or whatever, right? And, and they right. sort of basically give up hope. And it's like, you know, then everything is just, oh, no, but, you know, the CIA created that or, you know, the, the Rockefellers or the, you know, right. like nothing, you know, is real. Like everything is like a plant or, you know, Jordan Peterson is like, you know, controlled opposition, right? Like all this yeah. sort of stuff. I'm like, Fucking hell, bro. It's like, like he's got the, some bad ideas, but I don't think he's actually like people think he's like bought out by the the uh, Israelis. I'm like, I don't. Yeah, I, don't I know. Like, look, nobody's perfect. You know, the thing is, if, if someone put a camera on me, like you know, or any of us, 24 seven, um, and like sort of monitor everything, we say, we're like, that motherfucker is dumb. Like, right, right. some really stupid things. But like, I, I know half the shit I say is really, really dumb. So, um, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, we we have people that um, you know that like the world is complex and as much as you know there is you know these these visible agendas because you know not to discredit the conspiracy theorists too much there is clear agendas with the world economic forum with all that sort of oh, stuff. Yeah. so, so there, there's there's always an agenda going on and the way i kind of like try and frame it to people is there's think think of you know society as this sort of series of bubbles right and some bubbles are larger than others you know some bubbles are small but each bubble represents a individual or a group of individuals committee whatever with an agenda and we're all bumping against each other and some of these larger bubbles seem to you know uh absorb other bubbles and get larger and and you know have a have a particular agenda and they have more momentum and mass that they can push in a particular direction but they also can't um you know the downside is that they can't shift very quickly um you know and they're, they're very visible so you can see the larger they get and the more stupid they get and the more cumbersome they get but all of us have an agenda. We all we are all conspiring towards something. We're all we're all conspiracy, you know, people in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, and you know, the complexity, the, the complex nature of civilization is such that as much as you want to, you know, control a narrative, suppress something, etc., stuff pops up. 
you know, and like th- th- there's a classic example. Um, you know, I, I was reading this uh, tweet the other day, so I'm I'm like playing around with a little AI project on the side, and you know, I've been going down that rabbit hole, and um, and someone was like, you know, what? Why has China's you know large language models not taken off? Um, and you know, someone was like, well, they have um, there's specific dates um, and specific numbers that uh, you know, banned by the Chinese Communist Party that they can't use as part of the training set. So there's this like big hurdle for their language models to actually function properly because they cut out entire chunks of data so like fuck, like but this this is the beauty of like um reality right is as much as you think you can uh you know preform a model and then conform reality to a model it'll always break out and you know people like uh peterson you know tate and all this sort of stuff are examples of that like you know like i mean t- tate's an interesting one because you know when i first saw him um was like you know two it was actually at the beginning of the um the the lockdowns and he was actually pro lockdowns believe it or not no one realizes this in the beginning wow. he was pro lockdowns yeah he was driving around his bugatti saying look at these fucking idiots you know walking around with no mask on you know there's a fucking virus going around and these people fucking know i was like what a fucking moron because like <laughs> I, I was one of the earliest people against it like i wrote um, so was i dude yeah i wrote an essay on in the first week of march of 2020 as soon as the lockdowns came i said you know this is all the shit that's gonna happen oh yeah um but anyway he he, he changed his opinion you know, and, you know, he changed his opinion, not because he's a fucking CIA plant, but because, you know, he's a, he's a dude with like, you know, excessive, you know, energy and, you know, some whatever bringing up he had, etc. But he was right about 70, 80% of the shit. Um, and that to me is good enough because in the end he was a, he was a net positive for sort of messaging um, or, or countervailing messaging. And well, yeah, and, yeah to, to sort of close off that thought is basically, yeah, I, I think, you know, civilization is this mishmash of stuff um and as much as you try and sort of close it off like this is where marxist ideology always fails is you try and uh squeeze reality into a model um and you have these uh release valves that inevitably you know occur and they come in the form of you know bank collapses jordan peterson um, bitcoin like these are all valves right of reality basically fucking up your model that should be that should be art. That should <laughs> like Karl Marx sitting on some box where out of the explosions yeah, yeah, yeah. from the corners is like Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, <laughs> and bank implosions and Washington Mutual with the you know for sale sign. Oh God, what a what a what a crazy world. Um, so yeah, I, I think that one one thought I had while you were talking was the uh, you know the suppression now is really coming in the form of algorithmic setting. And and I think that a lot of people aren't privy to how you know manipulated our feeds are. And and you know I think prior to Elon purchasing it, not to say it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it was very fucked up. <laughs> like you you really couldn't access or you you struggled terribly to find the truth. I mean I was a you know v- relatively small account, and I I was blacklisted for well over a year where oh, like man. Yeah, I got banned. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, most most people telling the truth got I banned out again. Yeah, but <laughs> but I I was fortunate, I guess, in the sense that I was only, uh, you know, made it impossible to search in in things like that. So, I just don't think people understand how how much that. I mean, it's also kind of a it's also kind of a white pill that that the narrative control has escalated to a point that it's becoming so obvious that it's like it's like wow, there it is. Uh, this is really what we're up against. But I. 
I'm I'm concerned that because of the technological innovation, when you pair that with uh, artificial intelligence and the algorithmic setting, that that if you have an intelligent ruling tyrannical elite, they could really fuck us up, essentially. Uh, so thoughts on that. And let me before I do that, let me bring in Mr. Mark Moss. How are you doing, sir? What's up, guys? Yeah, yeah you made it. Welcome. Sorry to come in late, but I guess maybe hopefully better late than never. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, brother. Thank you. Uh, if you could just tell my audience real quick who you are. Yeah, so uh, Mark Moss, I am the co-author of the Uncommunist Manifesto with Alex Fetsky, uh, the host of the Mark Moss Show on the iHeartRadio Network, um, podcast, YouTuber, uh, investor, entrepreneur, uh, and uh, you know, the uh, founder of the oh, brand cool new Bit Bitcoin Opportunity Fund. That's the big thing that I'm working on right now. So Very cool. And, yeah. he, and he said you're a cool dad. Is that true? Uh, some people might think so. <laughs> my, my, my wife my wife thinks so <laughs> i was gonna say i hope your kids think so um all right so let's let's hop into the uh, it is the 140th anniversary of karl marx's demise you guys wrote the uncommunist uncommunist manifesto together uh either whoever would like to explain what was the the intention of it i think i could guess um uh, and and what was the conclusion or not, well, not the conclusion not talking, so process. i'm gonna throw it over to mark then Okay. Of the of the book, the intention yeah. of the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the intention of the book really came from uh, from my standpoint. It came from I think both of us was just trying to expose what's in the Communist Manifesto. Mm. And as uh, for myself, as somebody who has uh, was raised uh, kind of in that Cold War era, uh, being taught like kids used to be taught that communism and socialism was bad. Um, and I kind of knew about it and I've, I've railed against socialism and, and communism, et cetera, um, for years and years. I never actually read the book. I just, right. I didn't, I didn't go read the book. It's an old book. Uh, why, why would I read it? Right. It's old. And finally I did. And you know, it, what sparked it was, um, we were having the, uh, BLM riots and the founders of BLM were saying, um, that they were trained Marxists. That's what they said. Yep. So I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. And I say it all the time is like, go to the source, go to the source. Right. And so I was like, well, I should go to the source. So if they're trained Marxists, what does that mean? So I went and got the book. And when I read it, I was pretty shocked. I'm like, man, has anybody ever read this book, especially these, these women? Cause like, I can't imagine they would like this. And so it was really like, let's, let's expose this. Like let's rewrite it. Uh, let's expose it for what it is, but also present a better, uh, you know, a, a better position. And it was, uh, you know, Alex and I kind of went round and round, like, what are we going to do about this? How, how do we go about this? What should we do? And rather than try to go tit for tat and kind of try to uh, debunk it line by line, it was like, let's just write a better version. And so that's kind of how it, how it came out. Very cool. Um, I would like to know, uh, ask you a question you probably don't get asked very often, but what did Karl Marx get right? Not a lot. Uh, okay. he got, he, he got, he got, he got right that, uh, all human struggle. He did get sure. that right. Uh, he he was wrong about what we struggle against, but uh, he was right that all humans struggle. Um, you know, I, I suppose he might have been a little bit right that um, there is an oppressor class. I think he misidentified it. Um, I agree. Um, so I think there's people that try to get power and try to use that power over other people. So I guess he was probably right about that. Um, one part that we actually do give him credit for getting right was um, the the fact of needing borders. Mm. Um, so he was he was he he was a proponent of that, and that's one thing in the book that we did give him credit for. Um, I think I think that's interesting because there there are so many in the libertarian community that are of the open uh, borders variety, and 
And I, I've never been that simply because I I really feel like it's almost a neoconservative outlook where it's like, oh, I'm going to expect my values, which are very niche, you know, very few people, even in America, one of the more free, you know, nations in the world, very few people even here would really want to live in a community with me where things were that free. Um, so now I'm going to have open borders and allow people who share none of my values also come in and expect that to be maintained. It just seems completely uh, insane. I don't know. Yeah. That's always yeah. been my feeling. And you have, uh, and you have, you know, basically the tragedy of the commons, right? Which is when sure. no, when nobody owns it or controls it, then it doesn't get managed properly, right? And so yeah. um, you need to have borders where you have private property rights. And I think the borders and the private property rights kind of go hand in hand. And somebody has to own it. Somebody has to be responsible for it. And if I'm if I if I own it and if I'm responsible for it, then I have to control who has access to it. And so there you have borders. Uh, yeah. Alec can probably expand on that uh, that thesis. I know that was a big point of his. Yeah. So I mean, borders is always um, is always tricky because like, how do you have private property uh, without borders, right? Like, you know, I, I think private property is a is a human manifestation of uh, an underlying. Uh, biological imperative that social mammals have which is territory like you know and, and you, you look at all socially oriented mammals in some way shape or form they have a defined territory um there, there was, there's a great um image of uh of like uh, these wolves that were being tracked and you see like the wolves have their own like property and they, they very rarely venture onto each other's stuff so it's kind of like this uh this ephemeral um you know private property um you know we as humans just think we can uh, ignore that stuff. So, so you know, the the concept of borders is a is a is a is a tricky one because the problem we have with um, with current borders is that they're they're far more arbitrary than they are functional, right? So instead of uh, it being oh, sure. a you know uh, you know a line delineated by you know the people that are there near the line. It's a line that is, you know, imaginarily drawn by some bureaucrats that are ten thousand miles away, or whatever the case is, um, and, and and that's where I think the um the sort of problems emerge because, you know, w one could argue that, um, you know, maybe there's more similarities between, um, you know, people of southern Texas and northern uh, Mexico than there is of people of southern Texas and Washington, right? Like, and I, I don't know the specifics, you know. I'm, you know, I don't live there, but um, well, that's I, undoubtedly I think true. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Um, so, so yeah, the the sort of I the, think I think the Texans have more in common with the fucking cartel than they do the people in DC. <laughs> I think I think that they could relate to them in a in a in a more. Uh, I mean, it's not like I'm saying they're the same, but they would definitely relate to each other better than the people in DC. I was just in DC. Uh, they don't yeah, well, have much in go. common. There you go. So, so you know, case in point, you know, I think that um, you know territorial lines property lines um you know borders need to be um you know, need to be managed in a different way now I, I don't know what the solution to that is because it is fucking hard right like ha, you know where do you draw the lines and who fucking defends the lines and who who enforces what and all that sort of shit you know they're, they're sort of downstream uh questions but you know can we um can we assume that the the status quo at the moment uh is uh erroneous or non-functional Probably like, you know, go, go and try and like, 
get a fucking visa just to travel uh, to different countries. You know, if you weren't magically born in the US, Australia um, or New Zealand, you know, good fucking luck. My wife at the moment, she's Dominican. And um, and it's a fucking nightmare to travel anyway, just because she was born in Dominican Republic. You know, like we, we were applying for a European visa recently and, you know, they want to, they, they asked me for a fucking hour by hour itinerary for the 28 days we're going to be there. And I just replied back. I said, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah, that that's, was it. that's because, so insane. Like, so well, anyway, here's, here, oh my God, my alarm's going off. Uh, I have a, uh, an interesting tie into the, the Karl Marx question because you just said that, you know, the system is probably broken. Well, this is kind of the interesting thing about Marx is like they were, his, his, his progeny, you know, ideologically, they are of the opinion that like the system is sick and immoral and it should be torn down. And then you build from the ashes something anew. And and because I feel similarly, but I, I, you know, my vision for what we rebuild in those ashes is completely different. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic that I never really felt that I would relate to the Marxists in that fashion. Sorry, I'll mute it and just let you guys <laughs> see if you have anything to say about that. Yeah, Mark, I've got a few things. Do you want to do you want to take it off initially or you want me to go? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. OK, so so I, I would say this this one is thorny because um. You know, in, in my deep dive, particularly for the new book, The Bushido of Bitcoin, you know, I looked at feudal hierarchies, um, you know, and how, you know, hierarchical structures and, you know, more, more patriarchically oriented um, functioned over time. And, you know, from the Romans through the Middle Ages, through the so-called fucking Dark Ages, um, you know, th there was, you know, while there was small, you know, border wars and all that sort of stuff, th there was relative stability, um, you know, much along the way, right? Like th there was definitely no world wars um, and things of that sort of scale that we've seen in the, you know, the last hundred years of uh, modern civilization and apparent, like, you know, democracy and enlightenment that we've had. So, you know, my my sort of thinking there is that, um, you know, that there needs to be a respect and appreciation for tradition and that which sort of came before you and you know once again in, in the book when i explore the um the virtue of respect you know the word actually means to revere that which is above you um in some ways like to or to revere that which came before you and i think the biggest problem with um sort of marxist ideology is it's it does away with that completely um and it's always a juvenile um you know ju or immature or juvenile or youngster oriented thing like whenever you look at um who the commies are, like you saw this with the Bolsheviks, it was all the fucking young kids, the ideal kids, like who thought that, oh yeah, well, if we just fucking parcel out the, the farming land and we tell them what to produce and in what order, then everyone's going to have food. It was like, well, no, you motherfucker, you just, you know, killed 5 million people from starvation, right? That, that, I mean, that's somewhat true, but like now we have uh, like a bordering on elderly Marxist class that is our educating, you know, staff. We, yeah, I mean... We yeah we we have we have both now apparently so um, how have I mean, they not that, that, how have they not grown out of that? <laughs> well, that's the thing. So so I was gonna say if this says anything, it says that you know we're living in a world full of fucking uh, overgrown children. If anything, like it, it is it is like Saifedean had a really funny tweet. Um, sorry, a couple of years ago, he said the only people who don't understand private property is two year olds and socialists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's and it's a very Saifedean thing to say, right? But um, the uh, yeah, it's anyway, basically think, people who have never had private property, right? Correct. Or have never produced anything, or you know, like I, I, I actually, 
I've scheduled a tweet, so I'm going to say it here before, but it's like, if you, you know, I, I, it was like uh, learning communism, play with something, break it, someone else pay for it. Um, you know, learning capitalism, play with something, break it, you fucking fix it and pay for it. Like, so, so that's like, you know, if you want to teach your kids the difference, th there it is, right? So, um, you know, anyway, to sort of tie, tie back the idea is like, I think that there must be a respect for uh, tradition for that which came before, you know, th there are... There are reasons why particular hierarchies work. Like there are reasons why the man is the leader in the fucking household. Like you know, just plucking the dad out of it um, and making the woman fucking go to work and all this sort of crap that we see in modern civilization has ramifications. And you know, the ramifications are pretty dire. Like you know, you have fucking single parent households or, or absent fucking parents. You have two stressed out parents because they're both fucking working. Like you have all this other stuff that sort of uh, emanates out of that. Just because some dumbass in the French Revolution decided that you know divorce was a good idea and that um, you know that you know we should just throw away everything um, that sort of came before doesn't mean it's a good idea. So that's the, you know that that's the thing. And um, you know I'll, I'll shut up there and pass it over to Mark to sort of round it out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that, and really, uh, you know, Alex calls it uh, the the do-gooders, and so really you kind of have this, you have this divide, and the way that I've kind of framed it up is you have the individualists and you have the collectivists, right, and you have the group of people, and, and this is why we can't ever get along, because the individualists are like, hey, live and let live, man, you want to do that thing, like, you want to stay at home and send your wife off to work, like, you do you, kind of a thing. Uh, and, and live and let live. But then the collectivist side, they want to tell us how to live. And we don't like that. Right? There is no such thing as utopia because uh, my version of utopia is different than yours. Sort of like you said, Clint, like no, nobody wants to, nobody may want to live in your land. It's too free, right? And so we don't, we all have different versions of utopia. And the problem is when they want to enforce that on us. So, you know, back to Karl Marx, you know, he thought that the family, you know, he wants to get rid of the family. It's only used for production. It's only economic, things like that. And that may have been his view, which I see as wrong. I suppose he's free to have that view, but what they're not free to is to impose that onto me. Yeah. You can't destroy my family structure just because you find it to be a problem. Yeah. And so if you, if you like that, that's what you want. I mean, I guess go ahead. I think that's wrong. And you and I should be able to openly debate that through open, honest discussion. And that should be a public debate for everyone to, to understand. Um, and then at the end of the day, you do you, I'll do me. Um, and we'll, we'll find out through competition, which one is better. Um, but it's the mandating of that. And it's these do-gooders that want to impose their view on the world that, that seems to really be the big problem. Couldn't agree more. And I, I think that, you know, something I've been struggling with is trying to envision what it amounts to when you've had generation after generation indoctrinated into, you know, a philosophy and a way of thinking that I find to be completely counter to the American ideals that I believe in and espouse myself. And you now have so many young kids that, you know, view America as evil and racist and capitalism as the, the highest danger to them. I mean, it's just like, it's so counter to my worldview. And, and then on top of that, you have this, the gender ideology uh, education and kind of the uh, sexual progressivism that's being taught to very young people. And, and then you have some young people that are having, you know, an un- unreversible sexual changes, uh, you know, bodily modifications and things like that. And I, and I just don't know what that portends for this nation, the world, 
everything else. And I, I know that there's historical examples where some of these things have been seen in the past. So uh, if if Alex would like to hop in and tell I, me, should I be yeah. as concerned as I am? No, I think I think we're going to end up with one big fat piece of uh, cosmic irony cake, which is, you know, all the idiots that are going down that path will end up, you know, eliminating themselves from the gene pool by right. virtue of the fact that they can't reproduce. Um, and, and I think that in the end, uh, what's true, what's functional, uh, what's in line with life uh, ends up winning. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that they're, own, they're, they're their own worst enemies. I was on a podcast yesterday talking to, um, to a Bitcoin dude about, like he asked me, because as I said, I'm working on this AI project, and he asked me about like, you know, what, what, what does all this mean? And I was like, look, first of all, people anthropomorphize, you know, AI very quickly, they think, oh, it's fucking sentient, it's alive. No, it's not. This is just sophisticated autocomplete, you know, particularly all these language models. But, um, you know, be beyond that, I said, the, the funniest part about all this, like all the, the woke AI and the way they've sort of uh, fine-tuned the models to, you know, speak within a particular Overton window and all that sort of stuff, is that they've actually, uh, you know, functionally bankrupted their own midwit um, supporter base, which is, now you don't need to hire a moron out of the humanities from university to write you a blog or an essay or a newsletter because you know the bot will do it for you and it'll do it better and it'll do it for no money so now the only people whose ideas will actually be organic um and not be able to be reproduced through these large woke language models for example are the people who've got something of substance to say that is outside of the overton window which is all of us so these idiots keep shooting themselves in the foot it's fucking hilarious like they're gonna <laughs> outbreed, like they'll debreed themselves right, and right. they'll debank themselves and they'll de-fucking you know job oh, wow. themselves like the whole lot yeah. of them interesting yeah that that is a that's a massive white pill <laughs> very, very hopeful um all right, so let's uh, let's wrap it up on this. I, I I have been all over the Silicon Valley Bank story. Um, I'm sure neither of you are familiar with me, but I was a I ran a mortgage company for a decade and retired a couple of years ago. So um, I was immediately my all of my 2008 2009 alarm bells were were going off uh, very loudly in my head, and and the fact that we've seen uh, you know multiple significant banks that have been seized over a very short period of time. Uh, you have essentially written a blank check to every depositor in America, as far as I can tell. Um, what what does it, it, are you as concerned, and where do you think this is headed? Damn, I was going to say that's a mock question, but I know, I know that I was actually I was I was setting Mark up, but ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Um... Do you know if he what? dropped out? Did he, did he leave a message? He didn't say anything to me. Oh, damn. Okay, hold on. Let me let me just see. Oh, Sorry chat. for the listeners. Uh, if he yeah. WhatsApp me, let me just check. Yeah. Well, actually, okay, uh, yeah, we're shit, not. Maybe he dropped out. Okay. We're not. We're not live. So, uh, just hold on a sec. I'll be right back. Okay. Because I'm just gonna see if he comes back. Okay. Okay. Was that was that was that question so bad that I made Mark quit? 
I thought it was a good question. Come on. It was a great question. This is literally <laughs> up his alley. I know. I was fucking, yeah, I was yeah. like, I was trying to bring him in because he seemed disengaged. Softball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a total softball. And he's like, it's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. These noobs. Yeah, damn it. Okay. I mean, yeah, maybe his internet cut out because I think he would have probably messaged me on WhatsApp or something. It's all good. You could. We'll just let you answer yeah. it, and we'll we'll wrap up. All right. Um, yeah. Who knows what happened there? Um, okay. So the question was, uh, what do I think about this whole shit show? Or yeah, I mean, do you think it's uh, it's something to be deeply concerned uh -huh. about, or is it temporary? Man, I, I I feel like I was the the boy who cried wolf so many times, you know, over the last. 10 15 years like particularly after right. the 2008 thing you know and i became a you know a bear for like a whole decade um and i was always looking for opportunities to short the market and like honestly if i just blindly just went long everything um i would have made so much money would have been better always, off yeah yeah exactly I, I was just blindly you know i was like trying to be tricky and like time the market and all this sort of com complex crap um my my feeling is that i don't think we're anywhere near uh peak clown world yet um and i think we've um you know we're, we're still in the mild inflation stage of clown world we're not in the hyperinflation stage of clown world yet and right. i believe that's where um you know the real sort of uh money printing and problems will come so my 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 sense now uh and, and who knows maybe this maybe i'm maybe i'm the country indicator here but my sense is that uh people are so um you know, like, uh, their, their, their hysteria is so eroded for the last couple of years that in the next two weeks, they'll forget about all of this. Everything will be fine. It'll be business as usual. Um, you know, like money will have been backstopped, uh, into these, uh, into these institutions. You know, the depositors got made whole. They were the ones who were probably going to be the loudest, but you know, they right. all got made whole, all the VCs got made whole, all that sort of stuff. Um, so essentially no one's got anything to say. Um, you know, we'll forget about it, we'll move on, and, you know, maybe a year from now we'll feel the effects of this bailout on the price of food, gas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as we always do um, in a delayed fashion. Um, but, yeah, I, I think basically nothing to worry about in the short term. Interesting. Yeah, I, I you know, it's funny because I, I tend to agree with you, but at the same time I'm concerned that my own – internal alarm bells have mm. been broken mm -hmm. by That's, yeah yeah you know like where like normally i would have been very concerned about this and now i'm like is it just because i just went through lockdowns in the most insane three years in my life that like now this seems like no big deal <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. so i'm trying to i'm trying to really just like get into the the actual dollars and cents of of what the type of contagion risk is and if that is actually enough of a catalyst to to you know get Powell to reverse on his interest rate hiking and and you know maybe even start up QE again in which case the inflationary clown world gets a lot more significant at that point so i i guess i'm saying i'm not sure and uh, yeah, i know my audience yeah. won't won't appreciate that but it's just being honest i'm i'm in the same boat as you bro i'm not sure i i, I lean towards that um you know this if anything um i mean I, I think the real question is and here we are like a bunch of you know 
apes with iPhones, right? Like reading, uh, you know, what the tea leaves say is, you know, JPEG going to change his, you know, tone about like future raises and what does that mean? And should we now buy assets or shit like that? Like, right. It's, what, like, what a, what a sick we market in, where we, I do, know, where we do that. I know. know. Like, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Like, they, they laugh at, like, oh, oh, you know, the ancients used to, you know, read out of the, the you know, the entrails of animals. You know, it's like, bro, we're doing the same fucking thing. And, in fact, we're yeah. doing probably a more retarded version than they did because there's probably, you know, something about those, like, sacrificial experiences that, uh, you know, um, how can I say, uh, like, uh physically profound you know that puts you in such a state that there might be something you know uh, of semblance there you know we're, we're just watching fucking yahoo finance and reading the you know the tonality of jay powell and you know right. yell and the penguin right so i i don't know um but, but those those entrails didn't have the printing press so he's got he's got a little bit more of an advantage he, he does indeed indeed so so anyway um i yeah, I, I don't know if my circuits are broken like yours, right? Like it's, <laughs> we, we don't know what to think anymore because we've been pointing the obvious out for so long. That it's like... Right, exactly, man. And now, and now, like, as soon as I start to hear my ideas being repeated back to me by Tucker Carlson, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah exactly yeah, 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 yeah i'm like yeah, i'm yeah, like yeah. my ideas have gotten all the way into the mainstream like this doesn't feel right um mm -hmm. you know and you have tucker carlson who's like getting a whole bunch of uh gop presidential candidates and he's asking them like do they oppose the uh you know the support for ukraine and the and the risk for world war three and i'm like damn it that's the type of question i would ask them like what is mm -hmm. happening uh but then mm -hmm. maybe it's just that the the counterculture is starting to you know seep in and and touch at least the uh the you know the mainstream um which in in which case i guess you know that means we're on the right track still progress yeah yeah exactly. yeah it's it's uh i'm just i'm so accustomed to my entire life having my ideas be ignored that like now to see them repeated back to me on the biggest nightly news channel is like this feels wrong <laughs> it just mm -hmm. feels wrong um but i guess I, I i need to uh adjust and realize maybe sometimes Good things happen, Clint. <laughs> Maybe sometimes Maybe. we can actually prevail in a, in a minor way. I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, same question, but with the uh, the potential for World War III, is that also something that can be avoided and likely will? Yeah, I, I also think that that's, um, that's quite avoidable. I, I, I feel like that's probably the most well, avoidable of all of them. definitely avoidable, but like the people yeah. in charge, my God, they don't seem interested in avoiding it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I still feel like it's, you know, I, I lean towards it being, you know, a lot of posturing and, you know, kind of the, you know, like a bunch of roosters, you know, popping their chest out and stuff like that. Um, so so I, I still lean towards that because, you know, the, all, always the risk of nuclear war is the, the classic, um, the, the pilot risk in the plane, right? The pilot is less likely to crash the plane um, unless it's a suicide bomber, um, but he's less likely to crash the plane. Uh, mm -hmm. And kill you because he's going to kill himself. And 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 this this is genuinely a a um a, a risky outcome. You know, it doesn't matter if you've got some bunkers and shit like that. I don't think anyone's stupid enough to want to live in a bunker for five or ten years um, because you know you you blow up the planet. So now that's not to say that we don't blow ourselves out of uh, blow ourselves up out of incompetence because that that's that's probably the bigger risk um, than some planned you know blow up of everything. So. You know, in that sense, um, you know, do I think we're stupid enough uh, to do that? You know, I, I, maybe I give that a twenty percent. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, an intentional blow up is probably a one percent. 
Um, but you know that, mm. that is sort of be my my. Odds. Oh yeah, no, no, no. The the accidental one is the one that really concerns me most. And and honestly, that's the same thing with the, you know, global Great Depression stuff. But then you also have the factors of the you know the Great Reset, and they're, they're talking as if like they want to build from the ashes and perhaps mm -hmm. you know catalyze those ash those ashes or the the act of becoming ash uh to to take advantage of it so it's like you you have a a kind of a dual line of thinking where it's you have both idiots and rubes and criminals and <laughs> and thieves and then you have like sinister motherfuckers <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. and, I, and i don't really know who like runs runs shit so i'm just kind of uh -huh, uh -huh. i have to constantly be on guard anyways it been fantastic conversation i, I wish uh, uh mr Mar moss could have uh, spent more time with us but that's okay if you guys want to learn more about he and alex Svetsky, uh you can go to amazon actually and pick up the un or ex excuse me uncommunist.com and get the mm -hmm. uncommunist manifesto uh you can follow him at Svetsky writes that's s-v-e-t-s-k-i and writes like handwriting um and then at one Mark Moss. Thank you so much for joining me. Any uh, closing notes or, or bits of inspiration you'd like to leave with my audience? Yeah, closing notes. Um, I, I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation. I think it was one of the one of the better podcasts I've done in a long time. So appreciate oh, you having it. me on. You know, really, really good energy. Um, I think, yeah, if, uh, you know, I, I always implore people, not, not just because it's the fucking book I wrote, like we actually have on the first page, it's like, we don't believe in copyright, so steal it, pirate it, you know, send Hell it around. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you do want to support you know, the work that we're doing um, and that we have done in writing the book, like, please, you know, grab a couple copies. It's the perfect sort of gift book. Like, if you're trying to sort of uh, white pill, hope pill, liberty pill, libertarian pill, Austro-economics pill or Bitcoin pill someone, like, it's the ideal book for that because, you know, people, you know, you give them fucking uh, human action, they ain't going to read it. I'm sorry. Like, you give, them, you give them anything of substance, no one's going to read shit. So this is exactly the kind of book that, you know, you grab a couple... Uh, and you hand them out, and it's um, it's a great gift, great birthday gift, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, uh, uncommunist.com will actually send you to the um, to the Amazon uh, link on there, and then oh, gotcha. you know, we've got a hardcover, softcover, you know, Audible, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think you know, bunch of complex ideas distilled down into one simple ninety-minute read, and I think people enjoy it. So anyway, I yeah, I want to just thank you again for, for having us on, and yeah, ho hopefully. You know, celebrating Karl Marx's demise. Uh, you know, we we turn a new leaf in, in civilization. Oh, you're telling me, man. Uh, may his ideas die in my lifetime, but I don't yes, think they exactly. will. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's going. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for joining me, man. I haven't done this in a while, but before I get out of here, I want to thank you guys for continuing to leave those five star reviews, as I always do. Uh, I will read out the five star review reviews. Uh, Spider Vic says, top five favorite podcasts. Clint is the man. His financial and general uh, worldly knowledge is top notch. He never bought into the COVID nonsense. If he was king or if he were king of the world, it would be better off. Eh, yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> but I don't want that role. Although that's not saying much, is it? Yeah, you're not. You're right. It's not. Uh, wh whoever is reading this would be infinitely better than our current leadership. Great podcast, superb guests, a fantastic listen. Tune in. Thank you, Spider Vic. Uh, then we got Swampy Bear 86 says, one of the goats. This podcast is better than bacon flavored cocaine. Clint is a passionate cat that has thought-provoking and entertaining content and has a lot of impressive variety of guests. Thank you so much. Swampy Bear 86. Uh, Evan Stevoy gives me three stars because I'm not beating the peace drum. You're beating the Russian drum. Yeah, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I want there to be peace. If you saw today, we had uh, Ned, Ned Price, I think his name, 
said that uh, if the Chinese and Russian present a ceasefire opportunity, the answer is no. So you tell me who's beating the war drum. You tell me who's beating the Russian drum. If they offer peace and the U.S. says no, who wants war there? Okay, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Billy Bob Cupcake Eater says, see above, yeeting long time. Thank you. Five stars. Uh, Anarcho Bob says five stars. Currently the best of the liberty movement, <clears throat> an anti-extremist. If ever there was one, Clint Russell has unwaveringly embraced individual liberty and has all the arguments to back it up. He is the current reigning champion because he doesn't water the message down nor bow down to superstition or embrace fallacious argumentation. He and Lysander Spooner would have been homeboys. Thanks, Clint. Well, that's huge praise. Um, and man, I would love to meet Lysander. That'd be awesome. Uh, Biggin says five stars, top tier, on par with Dave Smith, POTP. More high price. Goodness gracious, you guys are nice. Uh, the best guest one could have for Liberty Enthusiasts, Andrew DePolitano, Scott Horton, Jason Burmes, etc. Incredible interview style, informative, objective. I've honestly listened to JRE a lot less since discovering POTB and Liberty Lockdown, mostly due to consistency of topic. Thank you so much, man. That's huge. Uh, JRE is just too eclectic. If you find this content refreshing, check out The Last American Va Vagabond, The Corbett Report, Grand Theft World, The Propaganda Report, Union of the Unwanted. Agreed. All great shows. That's it. We're almost at 600 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Got like 300 reviews over on Spotify. Uh, you guys are really helping the algorithms and helping get the word out that I'm doing something over here that's entertaining, informational, educational, enjoyable, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so if you guys want to continue to help support the show, you can go to libertylockdown.locals.com, sign up to become a supporting member. I will be doing an AMA before I go to Washington State this week. So probably, I'm thinking Wednesday afternoon. I'll, uh, I'll send out a StreamYard link so you can actually come in on stream with me and we'll chop it up for an hour. And if you want to do that, you have to be a supporting member over at libertylockdown.locals.com. We are out. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?